a British TV podcast with Chrissy and Ryan. News, reviews, what's on TV this week, DVD releases, and special features all about British TV. Hello and welcome to the British TV podcast, show number 36. I'm Ryan in Seattle. I'm Chrissy in Seattle. How are you doing, Chrissy? I'm good. How are you? Well, good. I think we're finally seeing a little bit of summer here because we've yeah. had a very, very wet year so far here. And I finally had a chance to go out and mow the lawn, which I desperately needed today. Yep, it was a bit wet over the weekend, but it has been nice for the last few days. So good, good. I think the rain's coming back, though. Well, we might have a nice weekend this weekend, but what a rainy year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you noticed I had put down here the special relationship, which was the HBO BBC co-production that chronicled Tony Blair's relationship with Bill Clinton. And of course, in the bigger scheme, Britain's with the United States. Mm-hmm. And this was Michael Sheen reprising his role as Tony Blair, as he did in previous productions. And it was very good. I think it was very much kind of from the British point of view. It starts in... 1993 with Clinton in office and Tony Blair as a junior member of the Labor Party going to Washington and being briefed by Clinton's aides on how to win an election. Mm -hmm. Because, of course, John Smith was the head of the Labor Party at that time. And then it cuts with uh, Blair winning the election in 97. And before that, he's also met with Clinton as leader of the opposition, which was usually unheard of. But Clinton obviously liked him. And so they, they form this relationship, and then Clinton gives him a big hand in getting the Irish talks going. So Tony figures he owes him, and they've got a special thing going on So they there. do. Okay, I was going to ask about that, because there's the famous clip. It was on Have I Got no- News for You of um, George W. Bush and Tony Blair talking that infuriated many of the Brits, because Tony seemed to be in kind of a, a subservient pose and role, and Bush was gobbling down his lunch and not looking at Tony and just and cussing while he was talking. Although he did stop what he was talking about, which was political, to thank Tony for a shirt that he'd given him for his birthday. So it's kind of curious to see the previous relationship. Yeah, the relationship between Clinton and Blair, at least according to this movie, kind of breaks down because of the Monica Lewinsky affair. And then mm-hmm. Tony has to get tough on Kosovo, and Milosevic, and Bill Clinton does not want to send in ground troops, and Blair kind of forces his hand, and that kind of bitter there. And supposedly, according to the movie, Clinton and Hillary were it visiting Blair at Checkers when the American election was finally decided in 2000. Remember Al Gore and, yeah. and George Orwell Bush? And so they see Bush being winning the election at that point, and Bill Clinton asks Tony Blair, well, are you going to... You know, this guy, these guys are tough. You know, you don't want to be deal with them. You're a progressive. You're going to, you know, keep him at arm's length. And the movie sees Tony deciding to jump in with George Bush. And as you see, mm. uh, that led to all sorts of things. Kind and it became his legacy, as, as they said when he left. Yeah. Yes. But I also like to think that the title, the special relationship, kind of refers to between HBO and BBC. They do an awful lot of co productions <laughs> together, uh, Rome. And uh, various TV movies that I've seen and pop up on the BBC in the past. BBC, of course, is, gets into bed with lots of things, and we're going to talk about some of those uh, this week. But it's interesting that they seem to both be interested in doing these sort of high-minded, serious dramas together. Indeed. So this week's episode, we have news, what's on British TV this week, what's running in the United States, DVD releases, Doctor Who reviews, and a feature on the World Cup. News. 
BBC Wales, BBC Worldwide, and the U.S. cable pay channel Stars announced a three-way co-production partnership that will develop a new series of the hit BBC sci-fi drama Torchwood. The 10-episode installment will be written by a team led by Torchwood creator Russell T. Davis and produced by BBC Worldwide Productions. While previous series were based on location in Cardiff, Wales, this new installment will see storylines widen to include locations in the U.S. and around the world. John Barrowman and Eve Miles will return in their roles as Captain Jack and Gwen, respectively, along with new faces. So, like maybe Russell Tovey? They kind of set that up at the end of oh, Game Oh, well, <laughs> I don't think we'll see Midshipman Frame. Oh, darn. I think that's going to be kind of a that's sort of the one-night stand for Captain Jack to kind of get him back into sorts. Is kind of how I read that. There was, there was talks for it, and when they thought that Fox I, was going to co-produce it, they were saying, oh, and it's right in the pause between when being human isn't in being filmed. So he could do it. He could do it. Um, with being meaning Russell Tovey, who of course Russell T. Davis loves to pieces. Russell so. Tovey, yes, he does. Mm-hmm. I think they certainly have time. Leona Critchlow is actually in a new pilot on this yeah, week, which we'll talk about I a little bit that. later. And so they've obviously got time to be doing other projects. I don't think it's that, but we'll have to see where they want Captain Jack to be. I think they'd rather have him be footloose and fancy free for a while. Mm-hmm. And they already killed off one boyfriend. Spoilers there if you haven't seen Children of Earth. But yeah, hey, we're getting new Torchwood and. I don't think it could be a better place. I mean, nobody was excited about seeing it on Fox. Just, you know, ruined with commercials and Fox's propensity of canceling shows after three episodes. I have a friend who works for Stars and Quality Assurance, too. So I will write him and email him and see if he has heard anything of it. Well, it's definitely happening. It's, (laughs) It's on the BBC website. The Stars has been running Spartacus Blood and Sand right now, very much like 300 very yeah. violent kind of series, but very popular. And Lucy Lawless is in it, and uh, John Hanna. Yes, John Hanna. And I think they'll pretty much have a hands-off uh, attitude on this. I don't think they're going to be sending all sorts of crazy notes to Russell Davis on how to do this show. I think we're going to get good old Torchwood here, and ten episodes gives them a chance to tell some very interesting stories. Yeah, as we said in the past, I found the first season sort of hit or miss. It kind of looked like, you know, Doctor Who's sort of gangly teenage brother that's uh, learned how to swear and doesn't really know how to do it very well. But the second season, I thought it was great. It seemed like they really had thought the whole season through and thought, okay, we'll do a funny story, and then we'll do a scary story, and then we'll do a sentimental story. And there was a real pace to the entire season. And then Torchwood Children of Earth was just fabulous i need to watch that again i I was watching it daily when it was on last summer and i've intended to show it to my wife again that was going to be kind of my big excuse to see it again and i'm looking forward to it because every moment of it was just great it was probably one of the best dramas on last year yeah i i agreed with you at the time and i still do it was very good and people were like oh you know they should end on a high note you know what if they what if they ruin it no no i think it'll be fine davis can certainly focus on this since he's not doing anything else right now he's working on his tan and working on torchwood yeah and good for him getting us on here because bbc worldwide is really keen on getting you know more stuff made in this country and on tv here and you know stars is a pretty small channel compared to even other pay channels like uh, showtime and hbo but they're obviously trying to make a mark with original programming and torchwood's fairly high profile here i mean the press seemed to like it quite a bit 
Yeah, it was was it on BBC America when it Previously, yeah. yeah. And presumably they'll get the rights for second run and things like that. Mm-hmm. Very exciting and it's this is getting a lot of press. This, I've seen articles all over the internet about this and again the BBC announced it on their website, so it's happening. We're already halfway through 2010, so it's going to be probably next summer before we see anything on our television screens. It's going to take them a while to make these things. Yeah. So, no rush there. And it was announced this week by Craig Charles himself that there's going to be more Red Dwarf in the pipeline. While standing in as presenter on Janice Long's BBC radio show, he said, quote, I can now announce that we are going to be doing two more series of it starting in January next year. I got the call today. They said, Craig, can you do it? And I said, I'll sort it out. So I'll be able to do it in January. Because, of course, right now he's a regular on Coronation Street. Mm-hmm. Uh, Craig, who plays Dave Lister in the sci-fi comedy, joked, I'm a bit nervous. I don't think I'll be able to fit into the leather trousers anymore. And Chris Berry is also said that he's going to be in it. So, yeah. yeah. So people are wondering, when's more Red Dwarf going to happen? And they're calling it season 10, too. So the infamous lost season 9. <laughs> Never will have happened. I suspect this is also going to be for Dave, which is the cable channel that nobody gets in England. And, which I always uh, pronounce in my head, Dave. Dave. <laughs> so, yes, more Red Dwarf. I think uh, all they need to do is now it's Blake Seven's coming back and we'll have the trifecta. There's been rumors that someone's <laughs> working on a revival of Blake 7, so who knows? Nothing will surprise me at this point. So we have BAFTA winners. Uh, leading actor, Kenneth Branagh for Wallander. Leading actress, Julie Walters for Mo. Lee Momolum. Momolum. Aw. Supporting actor, Matthew McFadden for Criminal Justice. Supporting actress, Rebecca Hall. Red Riding, 1974. Entertainment performance, Anton Deck from I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. Female performance in a comedy role, Rebecca Front, The Thick of It. And going along with that, the male performance in a comedy role was Peter Capaldi from The Thick of It. Single drama, The Unloved, Channel 4. The drama series is Misfits. Drama serial, Occupation on BBC One. And BBC America. Continuing drama, Good Old EastEnders. Entertainment program, Britain's Got Talent. Comedy program, The Armstrong and Miller Show. Oh, good for them. Situation comedy, The Thick of It. So The Thick of It definitely came away yeah. with some of the big awards. And it's a great show. I Do you follow it? No. Oh, I'm always very excited when I see a new episode on one of my tapes. It's just a hoot. And Peter Capaldi is hilarious. We've, of course, done a feature of him on the past. And he's always worth checking out. Also one of the stars of Torchwood Children of Earth. That's right. We so, like our Peter. Yes, he's excellent. And... I can't recommend enough the thick of it if you get a chance to see it. ITV had to delay three episodes of its top-rated soap Coronation Street last week when the plot got uncomfortably close to a real-life shooting incident in Cumbria that left 12 people dead. The tense, ongoing storyline on Corey about Tony Gordon, played by Gary O'Brien, escaping from prison and holding hostages in the underworld clothing factory armed with a gun were shown this week instead. Charlie Brooker's You Have Been Watching was replaced with a repeat rather than the crime-oriented show that had been scheduled last Thursday as well. So, once again, the news is impacting TV shows. Now, other than taking out shots of the World Trade Center, which was mostly in films, has that happened in America? Have, we, have they taken off 
shows. They still show the Simpsons episode where Homer goes to the they World do, Trade Center. They do, but they pulled it from syndication for a while. and then I saw it six back. months after 9-11. Yeah. So it wasn't off that long. But I was just curious if, if we ever get things pulled here. I mean, obviously, if something happens, uh, everything is pulled because we're watching the news 24 hours a day. The thing is, a shooting like that in this country, I hate mm-hmm. to say it, would be so local yeah. that maybe maybe a local station would if they knew a Criminal Lines episode was like that. But that kind of shooting would never get national attention here unless it was on a college campus. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Man Goes on Rampage is, is not headline news nationally anymore in this country. Really sad. But in Britain, it is a big deal. I was there in 87 when a fellow named Brian went berserk in a small town, and that was on the national news for days. Because, of course, they have much different gun laws over there. Oh. Well, I was there when Hugh Grant got arrested. <laughs> oh, golly. So that was pretty, oh. that was on a few newspapers. How quickly did he get back to England after that? I'm not sure, but I also know that in England, I think if you get five points against you, you're banned for life from driving, and he has four and a half. Oh, really? So, yeah. So. There's only five? Yeah, I think something like, but you can get half a point put on here or a point depending on the severity of what you've done. So he had a reason for wanting to be in L.A. because he could drive, too. But I like the idea that you you have the sort of cumulative effect of the entire mm-hmm. career of your life. And once you basically prove that you're a bad driver, they take your license away mm-hmm. forever. Boy, I wish that would be happen here. Yep. Well, hey, they have public transportation over there in most places, so... People think to confuse that driving is a right in this country. It's a privilege. Don't abuse it. In fact, in this state, I believe tomorrow or the next day, it will be legal to drive holding your cell phone. Hmm. So yeah, don't drive in this in Washington state holding your cell phone anymore. I see people, I could stand on the street and watch, you know, or I would run out of fingers counting cars of people doing that nowadays. It's a problem. Yeah. So what's on TV for the week of June 9th to the 15th? Wednesday, Waterloo Road is on BBC One. The last ever season of Big Brother launches on Channel 4 Wednesday with the twist that the contestants don't know which one of them will even be chosen to be on the show. Yeah, they just have a big pool of them. Mm. They're all going to be outside the Big Brother house and then we'll call their names and say, okay, you guys go in and the rest of you go home. You know, I even know somebody who was on the first American season of Big Brother, but really? I never watched it. Yeah, she came. She did very well. She was made it the last four people. Although that was the only season that was done in the format of all the other countries in the world, and it didn't do very well, so they jiggered it in the United States to make it sexier or something like that. Do they still do it here in the summer? I don't know. I have no idea. My sister and mother really enjoyed it. I don't watch CBS. I have no idea what's on their schedules anymore. I saw the very first episode of Big Brother in the UK a couple years ago because it was on part of your tape just at the end, and it was they were making everyone, all the girls wear bikinis as they walked through the crowds and into the house. Oh. It's like, just just because. Here, put on a gold bikini. It's still an event in England, although this is, again, going to be the last season of it. And so, there we go. Maybe people oh, will tune in because it is the last one. Can I pitch a book? Of all the things he does, my very favorite thing that Ben Elton does is write books. I yes, I love his novels. He's just a brilliant novelist. And he wrote a book called dead famous which was set on the set of a british reality tv show called peeping tom sound familiar and it's a mystery and it's really really one of i would say it's my top two when did it come out of all his books it came out probably five years ago oh i'm really behind on i think the last thing i read was about a dozen out now and i've got them all so yeah i've read at least 
five or six of his yeah, novels. Yeah, I've read them all except the most recent one because it isn't in paperback yet. I, I will get it when it is. And my very favorite was called The First Casualty, which is really a departure from him. It's set during World War One, but dead famous, excellent, excellent Big Brother type show based novel that's a murder mystery. Everyone read it. It's very good. And I do believe it has been published here, so you should be able to find it at a library. Or online bookseller near That's you. That's true. Father and Son continues on ITV1, and it concludes on Thursday night. Sky Arts 1 has Hay Sessions, featuring Stephen Fry, discussing the eagerly awaited second volume to his autobiography. Thursday, BBC3 has some more pilots for a potential series. The first, Stanley Park, sounds like a drama version of two packs of lager and a packet of crisps. It's followed by the more promising Dappers, a strange little comedy about two young mums in Bristol starring our favorite Lenora Critchlow and Ty Glazer, who have a lot of fun with wild Bristolian burrs. And it's written by the Mamma Mia screenwriter Katherine Johnson. Should be fun. I think Lenora's most excellent. I liked her in Sugar Rush, but I thought she was just a revelation in Sugar Rush, the second series. That's when she really came into her own, and I'll watch anything she's in. And of course, is one of the stars of Being Human. One of her very earliest things I finally caught up with, it was called Bella and the Boys, and it was also Billy Piper's first big yeah, role on that. TV. That was, that was good, too. Go Lenora. World Cup-themed TV turns up in 66, a TV movie on ITV set in 1966, a great year for English football. A 12-year-old's bar mitzvah is scheduled the same day as the cup final. Oy vey! What is a young soccer mad lad to do? Helena Bonham Carter, Catherine Tate, Peter Serafinowicz, and Stephen Ray co-star. That sounds great. I would watch that, and even if you don't care a whit about football, it sounds like a great, funny... Movie with a great cast. Yeah. Other World Cup programming Thursday night includes a kickoff concert in Soweto on BBC Two and a Come Dine With Me footballer special on Channel 4. Friday, ITV tries to counter the BBC's coverage of the Uruguay versus France match with an episode of the Scottish crime drama Taggart and an episode called Grass. Channel 4 has a special 8 out of 10 Cats World Cup special. Friday Night with Jonathan Ross Friday has on BBC One has Frankie Boyle, Catherine Heigl, and hip-hop hip-hopper Diddy. Yes. Saturday, Doctor Who is on at 6.45 on BBC One in The Lodger with guest star James Corden from Gavin and Stacey. You can see more of James at 9.45 on ITV One's James Corden's World Cup Live. Yeah, I read that The Lodger is actually based on a novel. A Doctor Who novel, so oh, which I haven't read any of those. I've heard a number on tape, but not that one. Well, we'll see if it's any good or not. Yeah, and right after it's over, everyone in Britain who hasn't turned over already will tune in to ITV One for the English versus U.S. World Cup match at seven thirty. You can watch it live in the United States on ABC two thirty p.m. Eastern, eleven thirty a.m. Pacific. More on the World Cup in just a few minutes. Oh, yeah. Doctor Who Confidential is on BBC Three at 7.30. Oh, yeah. The ratings will be zero. (laughs) Well, I suppose, you know, football-hating Doctor Who fans will all be watching it. Sunday Channel 4 has Scrap Heap Challenge at 5.30, better known as Junkyard Wars here in the USA. Yes. The American remake of Who Do You Think You Are with Sarah Jessica Parker begins on BBC Two. 
originally was seen on NBC here. Yeah, I saw that when it aired here. <clears throat> Monday, fans of Spartacus, Blood and Sand, might like Channel 4's documentary, Gladiators, Back from the Dead, that recreates the world of the Roman arena and revealing how six gladiators lived, fought, and died. I've read about the gladiators, too, going back there. They said that a lot of them had animal bite marks to their heads. So, rather brutal lives, those poor gladiators lived and died. It was a tough life. Yep. Alternatively, on BBC Four, there's Rude Britannia, a three-part series exploring British traditions of satire, body, and lewd humor. More Taggart on ITV, Monday with The Knife Trick. The Graham Norton Show is on BBC One. On Tuesday, if you're not interested in football, a good night to rent a video. Or in, watch the Doctor Who Confidential you recorded. That's right. I can watch that on the iPlayer. In the United States, on BBC America this week, Wednesday, there's Top Gear, The Inbetweeners, and Peep Show. I have a friend at my Channel 9 job, my PBS t- t- station, who said that he just watched five seasons of Peep Show on demand. He hadn't seen it before, and he was rather hooked. That's a lot of viewing, but he enjoyed it immensely. Good laughs there. Yep. Friday, Not Going Out, Gavin and Stacy, and Friday Night with Jonathan Ross. Saturday, Doctor Who Encounters the Hungry Earth, a two-part adventure set in Wales. Mira Sayal guest stars. We did a feature on her on in show 24. Is that really 12 weeks ago? Wow. Wow. <laughs> Three months. Gracious. Graham Norton is also on Saturday. Monday, new episodes of Top Gear. Tuesday, the second season of Ashes to Ashes continues. So that's BBC America. Sunday, Showtime continues. The Tudors starring Jonathan Rhys Myers. On Adult Swim on Friday night, there's Look Around You at 1.30 a.m. The second season of Merlin continues on the Sci-Fi Channel Friday. Tuesday, the 15th of June, Sci-Fi has the Sarah Jane Adventures Series 1. It's wow, an all-day like marathon. an all-day or, yep, 9.30 a.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Because it's the only time they've been shown in this country, your chance to see the Sarah Jane Adventures if you want. So set your video recorders. It's charming. I, I saw it when at one of the meetings that we had a couple years ago, and it's they don't have quite as much money to put into the special effects, but I think that adds to the charm. Well, and, if you're like me, you grew up watching Elizabeth Sladen. Yeah, she's wonderful. She's got great. a great face. She's a very good actress and very warm. It's nice to spend some time with her, watching her mother her her little young charges as they solve crimes and... Defeat aliens. Masterpiece Mystery has a Miss Marple repeat, Murder is Easy. DVD releases. Not the Messiah, He's Just a Naughty Boy is a recording of the live concert version of Monty Python's Life of Brian done as an oratorio. It features music by John Duprez, songs by Eric Idle, and appearances by Terry Gilliam, Terry Jones, and Michael Palin. Surely a must for any Monty Python fan. Hint, hint. Small Island, the recent masterpiece classic drama about immigrants to England during and after the war. So, some more Doctor Who's to review. The first is The Vampires of Venice. Or I heard someone called The Cockroaches of Croatia, (laughs) because it was filmed in Croatia. But I thought with a little uh, digital painting there, they made it look like Venice. Yeah, there were a number of Venetians who had settled there after they left Venice, so took their architecture with them and 
Was that what happened? Yep. Ah, having never oh, been to Croatia kind of... or Venice, I wouldn't know. I've been to Venice, and I, I plan to go to Croatia. I've heard it's quite the swinging town and, and a good deal and lots to see and do. And very warm, friendly people. So got to get there someday. A swinging country, right? Mm-hmm. So I would describe it as an average Doctor Who episode. And I don't say that in a bad way. It's just one of those kind of classic season fillers like, oh, I don't know, uh, the Android Invasion. Think of lots of other examples. You know, it's not bad and it's not great. It's just, you know, a good old Doctor Who yarn. Beautiful dress, too. Yeah, I liked Helen McCrory. I thought she was very effective as a, as a human there and kind of a nasty-looking fish bug, whatever she was. They were saying online, and some, well, why did she have to take off her dress to jump into the water? And it was because the dress cost a fortune, so you can't go jumping in the water with it. So. And the weight of it, I think it would have been uh, good yeah. by that would have been a one-take scene. Was that the last shot? Do we need Helen again? And... No, I liked it. I... And, of course, this was kind of the first part of the Rory and Amy triangle. I really liked the pre-credit sequence with the Doctor showing up and popping out of that cake. And there's a very cold lady outside. Right. Yep. He sort of ruined the whole uh, mystique of the stripper for all the guys. (laughs) Made her real. Oh, it's a cold lady who has diabetes. Oh, dear. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's no fun. That was funny. And just, just a very awkward pause there. But I enjoyed it. I just, you know, I sat through it and, and I was like, there's nothing I could say that I that bothered me about the episode or that I didn't, but, but nothing that was like, wow, this is, you know, all time classic. I would certainly show this to as a friend of mine as saying, this is what Doctor Who's all about, yeah. but perfectly serviceable, good story. And it was nice to see Alex Price because he's narrating all the Doctor Who confidentials this season. And I didn't know what he looked like, but he played the, the fish boy. Francesca. He's got a girl's name. But he, he was properly creepy and, and good. Such a mama's boy. He was a mama's boy. I don't know about all those other those fish boys that were under the sea there. I guess <laughs> I, are they still there? Who knows? This was followed by Amy's Choice. And it really put a point on the whole Rory, Amy, Doctor relationship there. Yeah, my favorite so far of the season. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, what did you like about it? It moved so quickly, and I love Toby Jones. I, I've liked him before because I've seen him in his starring role in uh, Infamous, the other Truman Capote movie. And I just saw that he got cast in the Captain America movie. He's going to play the, one of the baddies. Well, he's a good actor. He's Yeah, he was great as the Dream Lord. Very effective. He often wore clothes that were sort of a counterpoint to the Doctor there. Bit mm-hmm. of a clue. Of course, some of you have seen these episodes already. And I guess you think about it, they were never really, really in danger. I mean, would they really have died if they'd chosen wrong? Would they have not ever woken up? That's well, of course, some people know. thought maybe, maybe the doctor was kind of in on it all along. You know, maybe he put the crystals in there. He seemed to be mucking around underneath the TARDIS for an earlier episode. Hmm. So maybe it was all part of his big scheme there. I... Love it how fans want to figure out who all these mysterious characters are. And there were a lot of theorizing that he could either be the celestial toy maker, who was a nemesis of William Hartnell back in 19, 1960s, or the Valyard, who tried to prosecute the Doctor in Trial of a Time Lord and turned out to be an amalgam of all the evil parts of the Doctor between his 11th and 12th regeneration, if you can believe that. Hmm. But I think he's just an original character. Not everything is something you've seen before. Even the doctor says, you know, I know who you are. And then he starts, oh, he must be this. He must be this. No, maybe it's something you haven't seen before. 
And I like the uh, the throwaway shot at the end where we see him reflected in a panel. Right. I made a very surreal Doctor Who fan movie in 1988 called Broken Doors. And it was the very same sort of thing. A mysterious figure was sort of tormenting the Doctor, and he couldn't tell what was real and what wasn't. And I specifically told the writer that, well, we have to show something at the end. Otherwise, everyone's going to jump to the conclusion, oh, it must be the Celestial Toymaker. And I was like, no, no, this is an original character. It's not somebody you've seen before. And so we actually put a scene in there. So people would not get the wrong idea. But fans always want to fill in the blanks like that. And sometimes you just have to take what it is. I mean, all these river song theories running around, you know, oh, it's the Ronnie, it's Amy grown up, all this sort of stuff. No, she's a character called River Song. Yeah. Don't overcomplicate things. Yeah, I enjoyed Amy's choice too. Nice to do kind of a low-budget episode there in the village with just, you know, really scary old-age pensioners who have aliens in their mouths. Mm-hmm. And I kind of got a chance to sort of do a zombie movie. I love the <laughs> shot where one of them's holding a lawnmower over their head. And very see, slowly trying to get into the, the house, house, too, with, with pillars and anything they can find in the yard, trying to bash down the doors. Yeah. Yeah. And one of them finally got poor Rory there. And pregnant Amy said, this is not the real world. It has to be the other one with the frozen sun. Yeah, that was kind of strange. <laughs> I don't want to live without Rory, so I will kill myself and our child. I'll kill ourselves in a van going 10 miles an hour. (laughs) But I think the point was that he had to make the choice there. And the Dream Lord seemed to kind of give them the stink eye when he uh, realized the jig was up. But the doctor did outwit him. It was a good story. I like these sort of surreal stories. And something very strange from Simon Nye. I mean, not what you would have expected Mm -hmm. from his hand. But it was good. And I, and I, and I like the fact that it strengthened their relationship. You can really believe that Amy and Rory are a couple after this. Uh, it's nice to have, you know, actually have a couple that are in love on the TARDIS. That's something they haven't done before. Yep, very sweet. Yes. So two fine episodes there on BBC America. And we've got some interesting monsters to look forward to in this week's. Time for the feature, and it's Ryan's baby, so take it away, Ryan. And here comes Hurst, he's got some people are on the pitch, they think it's all over. It is now, it's four. Hurst has got three. It is all over, England are the world champions. England are the world champions. That was the end of the 1966 World Cup final, which saw England defeat Germany 4-2, probably the greatest moment in British sports history. They think it's all over, entered the lexicon, and even now it's the name of a sports panel show on the BBC. The World Cup 2010 has arrived. It kicks off in South Africa this Friday and runs for 31 days. 32 teams from all over the world have qualified and each hopes to be playing in the final on July 11th. It is the biggest sporting event in the world, even if most Americans have only a vague awareness of it at all. The United States is one of the few non-soccer-mad countries in the world. I'd make the case another is Canada, where hockey still rules supreme. Canadians only watch other sports when hockey's not on. I can speak from first-hand experience, having lived there for seven years. But nearly everywhere else, time stands still every four years, and attentions are turned to televisions across the world to follow the World Cup action. Even if you don't care at all about sports, I'm assuming that includes you too, Chrissy. Mm. One has to admire this excitement and passion that's generated every four years during World Cup season. It's hard sometimes to understand other people's fandom. 
Sure, I don't think there's anything wrong with being a Doctor Who super fan, but those Stargate fans, they're just nuts. Well, it's about the same about World Cup fever. Maybe it's not your thing, but you have to recognize it exists. I was in Amsterdam in 1998 when France won, and that was the day that my grandmother joined me. I had been traveling on my own, but I had my 77-year-old grandmother fly over and join me, and I took her to a few countries for a few weeks. So that night, very jet-lagged, we watched them win. <laughs> and the hundreds of thousands, you know, more than 100,000 people on the Champs-Élysées, it, it was very exciting just to watch it on BBC World on our little television in, in Amsterdam, and then see the aftermath of it when we went to Paris a few days later. I saw a very interesting movie at the film festival a couple years ago, and it took three different countries. And one was like in the Mongolian desert, the caravan of guys set up this sort of rudimentary uh, aerial, and they managed to watch a game. And then in the Brazilian rainforest, the natives come out of the jungle mm -hmm. to see you know, some missionaries watching a TV. And it was just sort of how you know the World Cup fever joint, unites the entire world for one day to root on who they're going to uh, watch. And it's it's really exciting. And this year being in Africa, uh, there are a number of Af African teams have qualified, and uh, that should get uh, people quite excited to see how far they go. And even sports haters can find a lot of related programming on British TV that they might enjoy. The networks in Britain love to make soccer-related dramas and comedies to cash in on everyone's interest in the game. During the 1994 World Cup, there were some memorable TV movies on British TV. The first was Fair Game. Lena Headey, later to play Sarah Connor in Fox's Terminator, The Sarah Connor Chronicles, starred as a college student in 1970 who plans on hiking across Britain with her soccer-mad boyfriend. They made a deal that during each of the finals matches, they would be in a place where he could watch them on TV. At the same time, the 1970 general election was going on in Britain, and the boyfriend gets into some heated arguments as he campaigns for the Labour Party. Meanwhile, a wealthy young man from Italy has come to Britain to find his roots, and the three of them get into a love triangle. So they get a twofer here, with the backdrop of being the World Cup and the general election. By the way, for the record, the Tories won the election, and Brazil defeated Italy in the final. Prunella Scales turns up as a free-spirited rambler who inspires our heroine to ditch both these guys and England altogether. Here's her commentary in the end as they sail to Paris, leaving the men on the dock. Doing? You're doing the right thing. That's what you're doing. You're getting the hell out of it. If I were you, I wouldn't bother coming back for a very long time. But I love them. Both. They're not the problem, my dear. And then this college. You see the new cabinet? Hey? Weep. Weep for England. 18 men of the old school. That's your new government. You think there were a lot of strikes? You wait. 18 men who think they were born to rule. Let's go and finish the bottle, shall we? No women. As a token female, somebody by the name of Thatcher. According to the Internet Movie Database, Fair Game has never been repeated or released on home video. It's probably because getting the music clearances to all the classic 1970s songs used in the movie would be too expensive. Which is too bad. Another TV movie shown in 1994 was An Evening with Gary Lineker, starring Martin Clunes, Carolyn Quentin, and Paul Merton. It's a comedy based on a stage play about British tourists on holiday in Spain watching the 1990 World Cup. Gary Lineker was the star player that year, and here he is the object of affection among the women and the men in the send-up of soccer fanatics. Bored housewife Monica, Carolyn Quentin, 
tells her husband that she's leaving him for Gary, and he's all for it. Anything that will help England defeat Germany. There are various revelations among the characters and shifting of alliances. This is a stage play, after all. But the whole thing shifts into an entirely different reality in the final minutes when the real Gary is magically transported from Italy and appears as a vision before them, dispensing gifts like God and surrounded by a golden aura. Monica and I have finished, but it doesn't matter now you're here, Gary. Monica doesn't want me either, not now you're here, Gary. Dan meant nothing to me, Gary. I'm sorry I shouted at you earlier. Do your farts really smell of perfume? Can I have a cigarette, please, Gary? Fags don't give you cancer anymore, do they, Gary? Stoke are going to get promoted now, aren't they, Gary? The characters entered a fantasy land where England defeated Germany and went on to face Argentina in the final round, unlike the true reality where they lost in penalty kicks. An Evening with Gary Lineker was a very funny and insightful look at soccer fans and the impact it has on their lives and work. Presumably, Gary did not make live appearances nightly when it was performed on stage. They just probably had the cast staring off at a light off stage. Yep. In 1998, with France hosting the World Cup, the BBC gave us Lost in France. It was a serialized late-night comedy series shot on location as events were occurring with topical references sprinkled in. Obviously, in an ideal world, the characters would have followed the exploits of the England team all the way to the final, although their elimination in the second round to Argentina altered the plan somewhat. But the main focus was on a soccer-mad northern family cruising all over France in search of tickets in various venues. Each segment was short enough not to become boring, and the sweet relationship between the characters worked well, whatever your opinion of soccer might be. So that was Lost in France. This year we mentioned some shows running this week, including 66 and special editions of 8 out of 10 Cats. BBC4 is using this year's location as an excuse to do wonderful Africa seasons and special editions of the children's magazine show Blue Peter. And James Corden, a well-known soccer fanatic, gets his own ITV1 series after each match with guests, comedy, and analysis. You might remember him during Comic Relief where he was the special teacher brought in to coach the English football team. You didn't see that segment? I haven't seen it this ah. last one. Very much of it. Other TV programming will include a four-part series on ITV, World Cup, Rock and Goal Years, and Gaza's Tears, The Night That Changed Football. On ITV4, Neil Morrissey and Richard Fox will appear in Men Brewing Badly, where they take a truckload of their own beer through Africa to the World Cup. And GMTV will broadcast live from South Africa with segments, including one fronted by Daniel Lineker, wife of BBC presenter Gary Lineker. Ooh, they got his wife. <laughs> yeah, Gaza's tears. Paul Gascoigne, Gaza, as he was known. He uh, cried after England lost and... He became a fodder for much television. God. He bubbled like Gaza. I remember seeing that on a... Like ep- predicting weather like Michael Fish. Sort of the same thing, right? Yes. So the, the guy who broadcast the local Sunders games on TV just got picked up by the BBC. He used to work for the BBC and he'd quit four years ago. And they called him up, said, why well, don't you do some World Cup matches? Hmm. He figured, oh, you know, I'm so low in the queue, I'll never get a chance to. But he's off to South Africa. 
So very exciting for him. Yeah. Advertisers like to jump on the bandwagon too with World Cup inspired campaigns. I saw one today for Adidas that is a parody of the Star Wars Cantina scene with David Beckham, Snoop Dogg, and Noel Gallagher. They appear alongside Harrison Ford and Alec Guinness and have been digitally inserted into the original movie. We'll put a link to it in our show notes. Well, hey. Yeah, Snoop Dogg cuts off that guy's arm and <laughs> and then one of the uh, guys accidentally ends up shooting Greedo. At least it's better than Han Solo shooting first. Yeah. Boo. Every World Cup in England, there are rousing songs released that hope to become the anthem to inspire the boys with the St. George's Cross to victory. Frequently, there is an official song that used to be recorded by the players themselves, but sometimes very silly people like Keith Allen, Lily's dad, get into the act. In 1998, as Fat Les, he did Vindaloo, a parody of the Ver video Bittersweet Symphony. Yes, it was. Yep. I think that was also an unofficial song. What was their song called? Do you remember? Britain's Coming Home. Three Lions. Yeah. I think I spotted Matt Lucas in the Vindaloo music video as well. Probably. So that's the World Cup. I know where I'll be Saturday afternoon watching the England versus USA match. And yes, I'm going to be rooting for the Americans. But after that, I'll switch my allegiance to England for the rest of the match. As for who's going to win it all... Well, I took a trip on my TARDIS and found out it'll be Holland versus Spain. But I won't tell you who the winner is. There will be spoilers. <laughs> okay. Retroactively, I'd go back and just change that. Yeah. You know, five weeks from now. Oh, what? It was Czech Republic versus Ghana. No. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see. You can plan on watching any of it? No. Nope. Well, we'll see. I, th- I think Americans will be interested in as long as America is, is playing. And as soon as we're eliminated... And- I'm having dinner after we record this with someone who will watch it all. Yeah, he's oh, a big soccer man. Sure, brought him in here. All, well, his name's, he's somebody I've worked with my very first job in the record store. Oh. And he and his brother go to all the games. Sounders games? The, yep, and then they've had exhibition games, too, of other teams that play. And they, they go to the mall. They're really quite into it. Well, cool. You have to find out where he's going to watch it on Saturday. Okay. I mean, all the bars are opening up here, and it's just crazy. I might find some friends to watch it with. But meanwhile, perhaps you feel the way Charlie Brooker does, writing in The Guardian this week. He says, I wish I enjoyed the World Cup, if only for some fleeting sense of common unity with the rest of humankind. But I simply don't get it. A huge number of my fellow citizens tune in and witness a glorious contest of ecstatic highs and heartbreaking lows. I see 22 millionaires ruining the lawn. Good line, Charlie. So next week, we should do Rob Bryden. Oh, excellent. Gavin and Stacey's right now on BBC America, mm-hmm. and Rob's been in tons. Rob's in everything. Things. He owes a lot to Steve Coogan, who we profiled way back when. Yep. But on his own, he's been in some really funny things and gone very far with Keith Barrett, among other things. Tis true, and I'm a huge fan of the series he did in 2000 with Julia Davis called Human Remains. I'm going to pull out some of those and watch those, because I kind of gave it a short shift the first time it was on. Yeah, well, they're a couple in each episode, but there's really only one episode where they seem like happy with one another. (laughs) They're very distraught most of the time, especially Julia. She's just unrecognizable from character to character. It's, It's an excellent show. 
Yes, odds are if you're going to be watching Rob Brydon and something, it's probably produced by Steve Coogan and it's probably going to be pretty depressing. He, he tends yeah. to make very offbeat shows about people who are not the most successful people in the world, but mm-hmm. you, you, you kind of laugh at their torture. And uh, Rob Brydon is just such a great sad sack at that. He plays a pretty upbeat, happy character in Gavin and Stacey, so you get to see another side of him. Meanwhile, why don't you visit our website at www.britishtvpodcast.com, and there you can find links to headlines, as I see them. I put them up there. Our show notes and what's on TV this week. Also, you can find archive of our previous 35 shows. If you have comments or suggestions or feedback, Send it to feedback at britishtvpodcast.com. We'd love to hear from you. Somebody wrote me yesterday and tipped me off about the Torchwood thing. And sure enough, there it was. Yep. Anyway, that's all for this week. Do you have any other news or stuff, Chrissy? Nope. Nope. We'll see what happens on the World Cup between now and then and find shows on British TV. They're sneaking in there between the uh, counter-programming or when the matches aren't going on there. And some good stuff on here, too. So enjoy your week, and we'll see you next week. See you next week. Bye. Bye.